Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. I am Whitney Sewell, host of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Thank you all for joining us today. I have a very uh, exciting guest on the show today. If you have been on Bigger Pockets, you have definitely seen his name. You've probably learned a lot from him already if you've been reading on the forums. I know he is very active on there and he, he's done so he's so experienced in, in syndication process. He's done dozens and dozens of transactions and um, he's a president. CEO of Praxis Capital Incorporated. Uh, his name's Brian Burke. Uh, and, uh, Praxis Capital is a vertically uh, integrated real estate private equity investment firm. Praxis operates on multiple platforms, currently managing active syndications for the acquisitions of single family, multifamily, and opportunistic residential assets in the U.S. growth markets. Over the course of a real estate investment career that began in 1989, the offerings Brian managed have acquired over 700 properties, including over 2,000 multifamily units with the assistance of proprietary software that he wrote himself. Acquired asset classes include single-family homes, self-storage, mixed-use, and large apartment complexes in multiple states. Brian has arranged well over $300 million in debt equity for Praxis acquisitions. Praxis's current portfolio exceeds $200 million in real estate assets under management. He's also recognized as an expert and been a frequent speaker at many real estate forums and conferences. Hello, Brian. Thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for having me as a part of it, Whitney. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to have you on the show. Uh, just someone with your experience and, and knowledge base is, is very valuable to our listeners. And uh, but we'll get right into it. And if you could first just maybe elaborate a little bit on how you got into real estate and what pushed you into real estate or what were you, were you doing before? Well, I, I was uh, only 20 years old when I started investing in real estate and uh, it was just a whim that I had. I thought this would be a great way to um, you know, work for myself and, and make money, even though I had no idea what I was in for. And you know, I had no knowledge, no experience, no training, no connections and no money. So I figured, hey, I'm fully equipped to do this. Let's go for it. <laughs> wow. So what was, um, what was it that said, OK, you know, I think real estate is the is the path for me. Um, you know, I, I saw a notice of trustee sale, which is a foreclosure sale notice in the newspaper one day. And, and I thought, I, I got to learn what this is about and try to figure out how this all works. Uh, you know, maybe I could go to the auction and buy, that, buy this property at auction. You know, little did I know how hard that was. Uh, and I, but that, I think, was the spark. And then, um, you know, I really don't know what was the fuel other than, you know, I was just a glutton for punishment. <laughs> now, did you jump right into syndication or were you doing something before then? No, I, I spent years doing single family uh, fix and flip uh, deals and, you know, bought a couple of uh, rental properties and then did a 1031 exchange into a small apartment building uh, and, uh, and did all that before I uh, did my first syndication. Incredible. So why, why real estate syndication? Why, why have you chosen that route instead of just strictly focusing on flipping or wholesaling? Well, I didn't really have a choice. You know, when I started in this business, I had no money. So I had to figure out how, to, how do you fund a, a growing real estate business? And, you know, at first it was a matter of, you know, doing deals using credit cards and credit lines and, you know, a, a partner with money or whatever you could do to kind of 
cobble up some deals together. But if I really wanted to grow and scale a business, I had two choices. Either I had to have uh, been born into a trust fund where I had plenty of money to go out and invest on my own, or I had to find investors that could fund uh, that growth uh, for me and, and, and bring us to that level. And uh, option A wasn't, it wasn't an option for me. So I had to go with option B. So what is Praxis Capital's focus right now? What, are, what is something you all are currently working on? We're working on acquiring uh, uh, apartment complexes kind of in that 100 to 400 unit size, uh, typically 1980s and 90s built you know, 100 to 400 unit multifamily from California to Florida and pretty much everything in between. Okay. And are you all in specific markets or are you just kind of looking all over or what's your, what, how do you focus or narrow that down? Yeah, well, we, we currently own in California, Arizona, Texas, Georgia, Florida, and New York. Uh, but we've got experience on our team in about 14 states Uh, We're actually looking in uh, a number of areas in addition to the areas that we own and we're looking at a few other markets that we don't yet own in such as the Carolinas, uh, Colorado, Utah, Oregon, Washington, uh, just to name a few. But the way we narrow this down is we conduct extensive economic research. My project in the beginning of every calendar year is to break down all the markets in the U.S. and find the ones that I think have the most potential and the longest runway ahead of them. Uh, and then we, we kind of zero that down into, okay, you know, what specific uh, MSAs uh, do we want to be in? And then, um, and then that's where we place our focus for that, for that calendar year. So we've got a lot of markets on our list this year, and all of them are top markets across the country. So to that, to that listener who is aspiring to be a syndicator, maybe they have a few deals under their belt, maybe single family or, or a small multifamily, but they're looking to do a syndication. How do I know what I'm looking at when I'm looking at all these markets and you hear all these investors saying so many different things? Point us in the right direction of how we know one market's better than another. Well, first, I think that any uh, aspiring new syndicator needs to stay within their uh, within their box, so to speak, whatever that may be, and focus on um, a type of asset and a strategy and a market they already are familiar with. So when I raised my first, uh, my first investor raise actually came from coworkers that I work with in my day job at the time when I quit, uh, when I quit my job, I, I, I got money from my coworkers, how I did it. And I used that to fix and flip homes right here in my own backyard and help develop that track record. And, and it built into, you know, one thing leads to another and we grew organically to that point where we could have a nationwide footprint like this. And it's taken us, you know, 30 years from my first investment to where we are today and uh, about 15 years from when I first started raising money to where we are today. So it's not something that happens overnight. Um, So I would say first start with what you know and who you know uh, as your investors. And then as you grow, you know, you'll learn tactics on how to find new markets, which, you know, I just love, you know, looking through the economic research reports uh, finding city rankings. Milken Institute is a great one. They, every year they put out the best performing cities index, which shows um, you know, how one city relates to another in terms of economic growth using uh, measurements from all of the things that we as multifamily investors care about. Nice. So, okay, now I've done a few syndications or maybe I've raised some capital in my local market. How do I start to branch out to other markets or how do I decipher whether, you know, over one market to another should, should be my focus? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to have some presence in, in that market you intend to go into. And, and presence could look like a lot of different things. 
Um, when I first started branching out into other new markets, what I would do is first I would start looking, you know, uh, on LoopNet for properties and, and not because I want to buy the properties on LoopNet, but I wanted to figure out who the brokers were in that market that sell real estate. So I'd, once I learned who the brokers were, I'd reach out to the brokers and tell them what I was doing and, and that sort of stuff. And I would get referrals. I would ask every broker I talked to, you know, who do you think is a great management company? Because, you know, uh, apartment brokers see everybody's financials, right? They know which management companies are doing a good job and which ones aren't. So then I'd start reaching out to management companies. Then you ask the management companies, you know, who, is a, who are the good contractors? And, and then you're asking, who are the good insurance people? And, and, you know, you're just building a team based upon referrals from this network. And once you've got a team in that market, uh, you know, then you're ready to start looking for real estate. And you've got the broker relationships, you know, to, to tap into to look for it. What about a uh, current, give us some, I guess, details about a current deal that you all are, you all are working on or in the process of where you're at and, and uh, where you're at in that process and going forward. Yeah, we, we just, uh, actually, we just closed on a deal, what, two weeks ago in the Atlanta market. Uh, it was a small deal for us. It was 132 units. Um, but uh, we, uh, we acquired that one. It's a value add deal where it's stabilized and 100% occupied, but um, you know, there's a lot that can be done on the interiors to upgrade them and, and, uh, you know, and then capture higher rents, uh, on the upgraded units as those leases turn, uh, because we did such a great job in, uh, being easy for the broker to work with. Uh, he brought us another deal that was about a mile or two away. Uh, he knew the seller, they weren't ready to sell yet. They were going to sell later this year, maybe next year. Uh, but he said, you know, hey, I've got this buyer that is just, you know, really easy to work with. You know, would you consider selling? And they said yes. So we immediately got into contract on that one. Uh, we're raising the the money for that right now as we speak. We're almost to the finish line and we're closing on that one on Wednesday. So uh, those are two. And then, you know, then he brought us a third one, uh, which we're negotiating the purchase and sale agreement on now, which is a two property portfolio. So it's kind of, you know, one thing just leads to another and, you know, we've got a series of deal flow here uh, at the second half of 2018. Would you say multifamily is your specialty? I noticed you all do some other things also like self-storage and um, some other parks and things. But is multifamily your focus? Multifamily is our main focus. I've done almost everything in real estate. We've, I've done single family buy and hold. I've done single family flips. We did an institutional class single family buy and hold strategy where we bought a, over 100 rental homes in the San Francisco Bay area at the bottom of the market. And, you know, we played in that sandbox with, you know, all the other big guys that were doing that at the time. Uh, I've done uh, residential subdivision uh, stuff. We've done self storage uh, development. I've done uh, hospitality. Uh, but, you know, having said all of that, multifamily is our primary focus and it's where we've had the most success and it's where we place the most energy. So are you still considering other other assets like self-storage or are you just strictly multifamily? Uh, we're, we're strictly multifamily. We're, we're pretty focused on that. Um, cool. You know, we've, we get a lot of self-storage opportunities that come to us, but um, you know, I've got, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, you know, again, this is, this is what's successful for us is, uh, is multifamily. What would you say is the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Uh, geez. Number one thing. Uh, I think, really successful partnerships has mm -hmm. contributed more than anything. You know, when, when the market collapsed in 2005 through 2008 here in California, 
there was a massive opportunity for us to expand our business and, you know, really grow and, and take advantage of that opportunity. And I could, could not have done it on my own. I was fortunate enough to partner with one of the largest local builders here in town that actually managed to survive the, uh, the recession. And, you know, we turned his home building operation into a home remodeling operation and coupled that with our acquisitions knowledge. And, you know, we, we ramped up very quickly to doing over 100 flips a year in the San Francisco Bay Area, which was an impressive undertaking at that time. Uh, so that kind of a synergy has been instrumental to our success and growth in raising capital. And, you know, now we've got um, a great team on the multifamily side. Our senior management team here at the company has over 125,000 units of multifamily experience uh, in, in multiple states all across the country, which has opened up so many doors that would not have been opened up if it was just me sitting here behind this desk trying to go national. Can you give us some just some key points in finding that partnership? You know, it's funny. Uh, I get asked that question a lot and it's so difficult to find. What I have found is it finds you and, mm. and that has been the absolute difference. When I would go out and try to find a partner, it never worked out. Uh, it just was always the wrong match. But when I've had people come to me, and I mean, not to say that I haven't instigated some of the conversations, but I'll give you an example of the, you know, the, the partner that, uh, the home builder that I teamed up with, I literally met his son at the courthouse steps. They were trying to figure out how to uh, buy uh, properties at the courthouse steps. I was an expert in doing that. They were trying to figure it out. Um, that's how we met. And, you know, I reached out to them and said, you know, why don't we partner on this? So, you know, you got to, you got to initiate the conversation sometimes, but um, sometimes you don't, you know, another time I just got a random phone call out of the blue from someone uh, saying that, you know, a friend had referred uh, him to call me uh, to partner up on the multifamily side. And that was what sparked uh, the team that we have now that has 125,000 units of experience. It was just a random call that was a friend of a friend um, that knew the right match and, and they wow. found me. Can you tell us about a mistake you all made in the syndication process and how you overcame it? Well, one mistake that I made, which is probably my costliest one, was uh, buying too soon in the wrong at the wrong time. I bought a property in 2008, uh, which was after the real estate collapse. So I thought I was doing pretty good when I paid half of what the last guy paid. But it was just before the economic collapse. And, and interestingly enough, the economic collapse harmed the multifamily industry uh, probably more than the real estate collapse did that was a couple of years prior. Uh, so I, uh, I acquired a, a 60 unit property in a great market, uh, but just at the wrong time. And I started fixing it up. I brought it from 80% occupancy to 99% occupancy where that lasted for about a day. And then the economy just collapsed. And, and once the economy collapsed, the property, I used to joke, I'd say that half the units were empty and the other half aren't paying. Uh, and, and that's literally about how it was. And, you know, the only way I overcame it was I was fortunate enough that uh, that was also the time when our flipping business was really ramping up. We were doing great. So I could afford to pull 15 grand a month out of my pocket to make the mortgage payment on that property. And I did that for three years until the market finally came back. Uh, and then we were able to, you know, regroup. Uh, at the end of the day, I sold the property eight years after we bought it. 
made enough money to get all the investors their money back. I got all the money back I loaned when I made the payments for three years, and the investors even got a little bit of uh, a little bit of profit out of the deal, uh, which was incredible when most other syndicators were just simply walking away and leaving the keys on the counter. Wow, I'm sure that spoke volumes to your investors and and just built those relationships and confidence in you long term. It absolutely does. It pays dividends to this day. I mean, you know, a lot of investors that we have hear that story and that's one of the reasons why they invest with us is because they know that, you know, we treat our investors' money even better than we treat our own. You know, I was throwing my money in figuring I'd probably never see it again for the sole purpose of protecting my investors. Um, and you know, so when people wonder, you know, what kind of character you have, the only thing I can really do is show you an example. Hmm. Tell us though, as, as a syndicator, uh, what's the number one thing I can do to improve my business? Perform for your investors is the only thing you can do. Um, it's, this business is all about track record and you screw that up once and you'll have a hell of a time trying to get it back. But if you can perform for your investors, um, you're going to do really, really well. And, you know, when I say perform, what I mean is not that you bought deals, you know, not that you were able to raise money. That's not performing. Performing is delivering results to that investor and, you know, living up to uh, what you said you were going to do. And, you know, granted, you can't do that 100% of the time. Sometimes the market is stronger than, than any one operator. But if you can, on a fairly consistent basis, you can deliver and outperform on your projections, you're going to make your investors very happy. And your investors are your key to success. And I wanted to ask you about the, the mistake you were talking about and just, you know, going forward, especially in the way the markets are right now, how do you, how are you sure that, or, or as sure as you can be that that won't happen again. Well, it could happen again. And, and so after you live through something like that, you never want to go through it again. So one of the things that you do is you, you learn lessons and you apply those lessons to, to try to operate differently than what you did before. That was one of my early multifamily syndications. I was, uh, I was a novice underwriter at the time. I didn't respect the power of economic vacancy and how to forecast that properly. Uh, to stay on the right side of the fence. Uh, so since then, we've completely redone not only the tools that we use for underwriting and analyzing property, but the approach that we take to underwriting uh, multifamily real estate and the safeguards that we build in and the economic vacancy factors that we use and the decompressing exit cap rates that we have in our model, just you know, our longer hold time projections just in case we have to ride through a cycle all those different protection mechanisms that we've built in are defensive moves for us to be able to survive that type of a downturn again, which we hope to never see. But if it does, at least, um, at least we're better prepared. Could you explain a little bit about the economic vacancy and what that is? Yeah, this economic vacancy is a amalgamation of a variety of different um, vacancy factors. So when people think of vacancy, they think of the simplest form of vacancy, which is just simply an empty apartment unit and the rent that you're not getting from that empty apartment unit. But there's, and that's how I used to think of it. Uh, but there's, there's more to uh, economic vacancy than just the physical vacancy component. There's also the credit loss component. And this is the tenant that's still occupying the unit, but isn't paying his rent. 
and you're in the eviction process or collection process or whatever it might be, uh, but you know the unit is physically occupied, but you're not gaining any revenue. Another component of economic vacancy is the difference between your lease rate and the rate that you think is the market rent. So if you say, well, apartments are renting at a thousand bucks a month, uh, but your leases are only at 850, you've got $150 uh, a month per unit in uh, loss to lease, which is a component of economic vacancy. And you're never gonna get to zero loss to lease. You're always gonna be trailing behind your market rent because it takes time to roll through your rent roll and that sort of stuff. Another piece of it is non-revenue units. If you have a model unit or you have a down unit or you have a unit you're using as a maintenance shop or a laundry room or whatever that might be that's not giving you any revenue, uh, that's a non-revenue loss. Same with employee discounts. If you're giving discounts to like your manager or your maintenance person, you've got to count that too. Um, and then there's uh, the big one, concessions. Uh, you know, if you're starting to suffer in occupancy and you give away a month's free rent, uh, if you lease today and those kinds of things, that month's free rent is a concession loss and you've got a factor for that because it adds up very quickly. So what tends to happen when the market goes down is first your physical vacancy loss climbs. Next thing that happens is your credit loss climbs because you've got some people that just don't leave until you make them leave. And then the last thing is your concessions start to climb because now you're trying to fill all those empty units and you're competing against all the other apartment complexes that have empty units to fill. So the smart thing to do when you're underwriting is you just plan for all of those and you build it into your model and then you'll be fine. Wow. And then you, you briefly mentioned, I think, exit cap. And, and we don't have time to go all into cap rates in detail, but maybe just a satellite image view of, of the cap rate, uh, I guess, entry versus exit. Yeah, I don't use cap rates in any way at all to uh, factor in our purchase price. They're essentially meaningless. There's so much more involved in underwriting an income stream than just attaching a cap rate to it and saying that's how much you can pay. It's an overly simplistic view, and it's usually the approach that is taken by everybody that says, why can't I get a deal? I get outbid by all these people, and the prices they're paying are crazy. Um, so I don't use cap rate for acquisitions. What I use cap rate for is one thing and one thing only, and that's to forecast our potential exit price. So what are we going to sell for? So just like flipping a house, I treat apartment uh, investment just like flipping a house. What's the first question you have to answer when you're going to flip a house? How much is it worth when we're done, right? So that's the same thing we're doing with multifamily is how much is it worth when we're done? And once you figure out what your future income stream is going to look like, you can attach a cap rate to that. That can assume your exit value and then you work backwards from there to get to your purchase price. That's incredible, uh, Brian. I appreciate you explaining that. And if, uh, if our listeners would like to get in touch with you or learn more about your, your company, what's the best way to do that? The best way to do it is through our website. We have some resources there that introduce you to our company and some of the things that we've done. We have a blog on there that has some articles about what we've done and what we've been doing. But you go to praxcap.com, which is P-R-A-X-C-A-P.com. Uh, you, can, you can learn about us there. If you're on Bigger Pockets, you can find me there. I answer questions in the forums all the time. There's some articles on the Bigger Pockets um, blog that I've, that I've written, so you can find some stuff there as well. Great. Thank you, Brian. And thank you listeners for, for listening to the show today. I hope you have learned a lot and I hope you'll reach out to Brian and I hope you all subscribe and, and like our show and I will talk to you tomorrow. 
Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.